You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Thank you guys very much for leading us to the throne this morning. And if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Be in Luke chapter 14, continuing our series, Come to the Table, Be Transformed. And um, to be honest with you, the thing we just sang, that I'm no longer a slave of fear, is something that should be readily known by all those who have been redeemed. But I do fear, as a pastor and as one who has been called to shepherd a faith family, that there are many of us who, at times, while we are aware of what the ramifications are to walk in the truth of the gospel, that I do fear sometimes we have lost our way in what it is to do. And I'm not saying that it's that our church has lost its way or that any of you in particular have lost your way, just simply that... I feel like it's easy for us to get off the main things, and the main things are clear all over the scriptures. They're clear when we sit down and talk about what church is about, and today I think we'll find that the main things are even clear in this message, this parable that we're going to look at from Jesus. But I know that all of us can hear stories we're aware of, or we can listen to things that we already think we know the answers to, and we can close off ourselves unknowingly even at times, and that we cannot be open to the Word of God by not being focused on seeking what is God trying to lead us to do, to be, to believe differently today. So my hope is that you will not allow your familiarity with the gospel or your familiarity with the scriptures to cordon off your minds or your hearts, but instead that we would go to the Lord and ask for Him to change us according to His Word and that we would be obedient to His Word. So let me pray once again for us and ask that the Lord would bless us with those truths. Father, you are a good God, and no matter what we say, no matter what we think, we know that you have a purpose that continues on until you send your Son back to bring us home. Lord, this morning I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, that we would be having our minds and hearts illumined to your Word, And that we would see how you want to change us and shape us individually and corporately more into the image of your son, Jesus. Work in our hearts, Lord, please. I ask now for myself even, Lord, that if I am about to say something I should not say, that you would quiet my mouth by your spirit, that I would be sensitive to the leading of your spirit. And Lord, if there are things I have not planned to say that I should say, Lord, I ask that your spirit would lead, you would quicken my heart, and that I would be obedient even in those moments. But Lord, we know that your word stands firm and stands forever. So we trust in you. We ask you to lead us through your word and to lead us into your glorious praise that should always happen as we look at you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 14, the whole thing is one big party. I'm going to just briefly give you an overview of the first bits of it, and then we're going to jump into the meat for today. I want you to understand a couple of things, that uh, all the Gospels that we look at, these Gospels as far as the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to Matthew, they're all looking at the same Jesus, and they're all telling us 
stories about Jesus and happenings in his life. And they look at them from different perspectives. So sometimes we see the same parable in some places, looked at from different angles of different men called by God to report them and to write them down. Today's message from Luke, though, is one that I found that for myself has been a continual push for me. And there has been a particular song in the Gospel Coalition's songs they've put together on the Gospel according to Luke that you might find helpful. We've posted a playlist with one of those that has just been ratcheted in my brain ever since we knew the Lord was leading us into these passages in Luke. And it's one about coming to the feast. And today our message stays the same in general in the overall statement that we are to come to the feast, the table of the Lamb, and the add-on for this week is that there's still time. There's always still time until Jesus comes back, but that time will end. If you see, the story starts in chapter 14, verse 1, and on this, Jesus is hanging out on the Sabbath with some rulers of the Pharisees, and uh, they're kind of watching him, and he brings up this question to them. He asks us if it's lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath or not. There's someone in their presence that has dropsy, uh, very distended, a lot of problems, probably filled with fluid in different areas, organ failure on the horizon. And he asks this question, but they remain silent. They've learned at this point that if Jesus asks a question, it's probably loaded. And so they stay their mouths, and they just wait. And then he took the guy, and he healed him and sent him on his way. And he then points to the Old Testament where it's lawful on the Sabbath to help out your animal if your animal's in a predicament, indicating that it should be okay to then help out a human, right, who's worth much more than an animal. And then he steps into a parable that he gives. They couldn't reply to those things. In verse 7, he gives a parable to those who were invited. He says, uh, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. In other words, hey, when you walk into a feast, don't just assume that you're the one that needs to be in the seat of honor. You go to the seat of lowliest estate, and if the, the master of that feast wants to put you up into that seat, he will move you there. The opposite of that is he gets to ask you to move down a few seats, which is a pretty shameful thing to happen. And he sums it up with a statement we've heard all throughout the other gospel accounts. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A good message for all of us, right? Because our natural tendency is to always puff ourselves up and exalt ourselves. And he jumps right into verse 12 where we pick up for today. And it says, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, we know Jesus is not saying, don't invite your friends over for dinner. We know he's not saying that because he does that many times. Go to dinners with friends and family. So he's not saying that. He's trying to prove a point to these folks here that are the religious leaders who have brought him in, but they're there to judge him and not to actually be a part of the fellowship with him. And so it says in verse 13, he says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, just so you know, uh, the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, the, the experts would have been pretty sure that they understood that that is a pretty crazy statement to make. 
because they adhered to a set of rules built around the Old Testament scriptures that they had that helped to make sure they never got close to breaking the rules of the Bible. And so they had set up a lot of extra rules. And in the Old Testament, it talks about that if you're going to be a priest who makes sacrifices, you can't have any kind of blemish wrong with you. You can't have one leg that's longer than another. You can't be a dwarf. You can't have a flow of blood. You can't have a hand that's been damaged. You can't, all these extra things. Okay, so people would look at that and say, if you're lame or crippled, or if you are someone who's the poor, they would say, yeah, 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 we get that, that they're going to get to eat of the bread, but not that they would be in the seat of honor. God doesn't like that. That's not what God says, by the way. He's just pointing to later on the need for a savior who's unblemished by sin, and they didn't catch that. And so when Jesus here says this, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, they would have been taken aback pretty well by that. He says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In verse 15, notice the religious response. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He throws out a quippy statement trying to get beyond the awkwardness in the room. So Jesus is invited into a party with a bunch of ruling Pharisees who are the experts on religion, and they're trying to assert who he is and what he's doing, and they're trying to entrap him in things over and over and over again. And Jesus steps in, and he begins immediately to say to them, you don't understand the Sabbath. Let me show you what it is. Let me ask you a question. You're not going to answer, I'll heal this guy, and now I'm going to show you how you're wrong. And then he says, hey, you've invited all these important people in. You should be inviting all the ones who are overlooked and marginalized and in need. That's who you should be inviting in. It's a pretty awkward moment. Right? He said that directly to the guy who invited him in to dinner. And then we see right here, this guy is trying to help out probably and says a statement he earnestly believes, but one that is a pithy kind of religious statement when he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Implying, hey yeah, blessed are all of us who are going to be there. Even those others you just talked about. But Jesus said to him in verse 16, zoom in with me here, we're going to double click on this. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Pause, let me say this about this. This would have been normal. A big banquet, they get RSVPs from everybody they've invited so they know who's coming, they know how much to make, and they're going to overmake for everybody. And when the day came and everything was ready, they would send their messengers out to get everyone to bring them in saying, hey, it's time for the feast. So this is what he's done. Verse 17 again, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have, a married, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And by the way, notice these are all good things. They're all legitimate things. They're all honorable things. I mean, the first guy has bought some land and he has to go check out the land. Well, some argue that he should have already checked out the land. And some say, no, 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 there still was the stipulation that once you purchase it, you have to go and just verify the boundaries and make sure it's exactly what you agreed to pay for. But we do know this, it's labeled as an excuse because if he wanted to go to the feast, he could have gone to the feast and checked out the land later or before. He knew it was coming. The next one is the excuse we see of a guy who's bought 
some ox, some oxen. And he says to him, the servant came and reported his master these things. He says, verse 20, uh, verse 19, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. This would be a wealthy guy. It would be a couple hundred acres of land at least probably because of needing that many oxen to take care of the fields. But he wouldn't have gone to buy those oxen without having already checked them out. So he's making an excuse. It's labeled here. It says these are excuses. And the next one says, I've gotten married. I married a wife. Therefore, I can't come. And the Old Testament would say that if you just got married, you don't have to go off to war, but it never precludes, precludes you from going to a party. In fact, I don't know about you, but most of our wives probably love to go to a party and talk to somebody else for a little while besides just us. And these guys make excuses, and they're labeled as excuses. And what they really should have just said probably is the truth. If you're going to be, because no matter what they say, it's going to be a rude thing. They said we're coming, and now I've got this thing going on, so I'm not coming. It would have been taken as a very, very, very rude thing to do in this culture. Even now, it'd be rude, right? What happens? Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, and blind, and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and there still is room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Notice, real quick, it's something when you read scripture, He's talking about the servant, not himself, in a sense. He's talking about the master. And the very last thing, he comes back into the first person when he says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I think it would do us good today to heed the warning that is here thrown out to the religious. That's us, by the way. We like to put ourselves in the seat of the non-Pharisees. But we're the ones that most resemble the Pharisees of people in our culture. Here we are gathered together. Here we are looking at the word. Here we are wanting to know and grow and learn more. The Pharisees weren't all just like mean and bad people. They were people that showed fealty to God. They wanted to love God and do what God said. And here's the ones he's sitting with, dining with, and he gives them this story. And he says at the end, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. We've got two major points for us today, based off these scriptures, straight out of the scriptures. I want to state the first one very directly, and one that speaks to all of us, I believe. But before I say it, I want you to understand that if we're not careful, we're going to hear this, and we're just going to think it's somebody else. And we need to take this in and ask the Lord to reveal, is this me? We are never so far along in our walk with the Lord that we can just be assured that we've kind of arrived. We should always be submitting ourselves to the Lord. So my first statement to you from this scripture to the religious, to us, is this. Do not rely on your religion, but recognize the truth of your estate and continue in repenting. This is our mandate. Jesus started off when he set out into the kingdom work by saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And those words in the languages they were spoken mean repent now and keep on repenting. Believe now and keep on believing. This is not an ending 
thing that you do one time. Now, if you are saved, if you have been redeemed, you are his. I believe fully that if you are his, you will endure to the end and be saved. But our calling is to continually be repenting of sin as he continues to shape us and form us into the image of Christ and make us into the perfect us he intended us to be originally. Make sure we understand our knowledge of Scripture can never overcome the depth of our depravity. Pharisees thought they had. Our eloquence in prayer will never pass the smell test in the presence of the Almighty. Just because we're good at saying things and sounding religious doesn't mean we're okay with the Lord. Let us not lean into those things. I'm not saying don't pray with good words. I'm just saying don't lean into that like that that makes us okay with the Lord. See, these religious leaders had invited Jesus into their feast, but they had placed themselves in the seat of judgment. And although they feigned fealty to God, they were relying on their religion and did not recognize their continual need for salvation. Oh, Lord, let this not be our reproach. Amen, church? Let us not fall into that. Father, please remind us of our great sin and then of your great salvation in Jesus. We need reminding of that continually. Let us not trick ourselves, brothers and sisters, into thinking that our behaviors blot out our transgressions. Only the precious blood of Jesus wipes away our sins and purifies our hearts and transforms us more and more into the image of Christ. And only those who abide at the feet of Jesus will be brought home when the end comes. How many of us in the church have heard the sweet sound of the invite and come to the door only to stop short of actually feasting at the table of Jesus? We hang around. We may learn a lot. We may even learn so much that we begin to teach others the truths of the Bible. We may even be able to wax eloquently about different theological issues amongst our friends or at home. We may even learn so much that we feel like we have arrived in some ways and that this shows that we are his, but are we truly sitting at the feet of Jesus and feasting at the table with him? We might have memorized countless scriptures and even taught lessons, but are we resting in the arms of the Savior? We can spend years searching these scriptures right here, searching these scriptures, and yet wind up just like what Jesus says about the Pharisees, that we we seek in the scriptures for eternal life. We miss the point. They're all about Jesus. Many might even look at us and wish they could attain our status or wealth of knowledge about the Bible or our religious estate. But the question for our own hearts is, have we truly submitted in every way to the Savior? Have we truly surrendered ourselves to the Savior? Are we truly surrendering, even now, ourselves to the Savior? Let us heed this warning today. Jesus is inviting us to surrender ourselves to him this very morning, just like he was to these Pharisees. His salvation is free to any who would come. He's invited them all to come. It's free, it's available to any who would repent and believe in him. But let us not be deceived. He requires full and total surrender. We cannot hold anything back. To hold back anything is to actually refuse to come to him the way he says it must happen. 
There is no holding back of anything. Salvation cannot be predicated upon the demands of the one who needs salvation. It's always predicated upon the one who brings salvation, Jesus Christ the righteous. And salvation only comes to those who surrender to the Savior with reckless abandon. Think back for a moment. Finally just be empty and have nothing left and to look up to the Savior and ask him to save you. Do you remember that? you remember what it felt like? The freedom that happened in that moment? The, the total debased feeling of having nothing to bring to the table, but knowing that you've been invited in? In your response to that? Look, what we know is worthless if we're not transformed by the Redeemer. What we say that we know means nothing if we refuse to sup with the Savior regularly. Let us not rest our knowledge of the of God on the scriptures alone, but let us come and rest in the provision of the pursuer who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let us rest in his presence. Let us not rest our hope in our religion, which is our default mechanism as those who continually create idols out of anything if we just take our eyes off Jesus. Let us instead relinquish our lives to full surrender in the calling of our Savior and Redeemer. Let us not make excuses, for we all know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And let us not think we don't make excuses, because <laughs> we do. Here it's about property, it's about tools, it's about spouses, affections. We make excuses all the time. Okay, Lord, I know you're calling me to go do this thing, but I'm just going to, when I'm done with this, he tells the guy, go, let the dead bury their own dead. Hey, okay, God, I, I hear what you're saying. I know I need to stop this thing, but I, just after this time, let us be worried, brothers and sisters. Let us not make excuse, excuses, but instead let us make haste to come to the Savior. Come to the table and be transformed. Because our religion is worth nothing if we do not see our great need for salvation in every day. We need saving then even more from our religiousness. And let us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Let us not look down at the marginalized, at the needy, at the lame, at the crippled. Let us not look down at those who have run headlong away from what we believe is right and good. Let us not turn away from those things because what we understand here is he says that's the ones we're supposed to go out to. And what we need to really understand is that we are those people. We are the outcast. We are the marginalized. We are the needy. That's who we are. Luke 4.16, Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day in Nazareth, and he stood up to read, and they handed him the prophet Isaiah's scroll. And in verse 18, he had unrolled it, and it said this, he read this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We're the captives he set free. We're the marginalized he came to bring into honor seats. 
We're the ones who needed a Savior, and He came to save us. Let us recognize that in every moment so that we may heed the warning here and not receive the invitation and then refuse to actually come in and seat at the table. Come in and sit at the table. So brothers and sisters, let us come to the table again and be transformed. But let us not, and in part two of this, let us not be satisfied with simply being served. Let us recognize that he has called us to become servants also, be made into his image. This story, everybody would have recognized uh, as they heard this parable that the master of the home would be representing God and that his servant would have been the one who would have been the Messiah to go out and do these things. In fact, this invitation these people had before was from the prophets in the Old Testament. And now the Messiah has come and he's gone out to them and invited them in and they're staying outside. They're not submitting and surrendering. And we see that he not only does that, but he calls us to be like him, and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation so we may go out and preach the gospel to others, that we are ambassadors for Christ. So let us be about his business of seeking and saving the lost. This is what I have feared that churches have become, especially in the West, who have been in it for so long that we've forgotten that we're about the kingdom work, and the kingdom work most, foremost is always... Two parts in one truth. Glorifying God and reaching the lost. That's our mission. The way we enjoy Him is the way we reach them. And we enjoy Him which gives Him glory, but we give Him to all people. That's what this story is even about here. Make sure we understand the gospel does not just lift up the countenance of the lowly. The gospel of Jesus does not only satisfy the hunger of the hungry. The gospel does not just bring healing words to the hurting the gospel of jesus does all these things but it does so much more because it transforms the outcast into becoming the emissaries of the gospel it takes those who are broken and turns them into bringers of hope to others with the gospel the gospel of jesus transforms the marginalized and makes us messengers of reconciliation He likes to use the things that are low to bring down the things that are high. He likes to use those who have not anything to offer that are not wise to go out and bring the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus to others. Look, even God's anger leads to a further extension of this missional grace. Look at it with me in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, all the excuses. Then the master of the house became angry. Pause. That's where he should go fire on these guys, right? That's what we think is going to happen in the Old Testament. Bring down the heat now. Look what it says. The the, the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. God's anger leads to an even further extension of his grace. It pushes him to call out for more to come into the banquet. What a good God we serve. Look what he says, verse 21. Read it all the way through verse 23. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So go and invite, go and bring, go and compel. Go out. 
Notice this over and over again. Go out, invite, go out, bring in, go out, compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. 1 Peter 3, 13 says, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared, listen, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Compelling people is persuading them to follow the Lord. Go out, he says. Get them from the hedges. Get them from the highways. Go out. Get those who are overlooked. Get those who are marginalized. Open up your homes and your lives to those who are overlooked and looked down upon. Don't bring in just your friends. Go out and invite those in who are not invited in anywhere else. Brothers and sisters, we're not in the business of taking religious people from other religious institutions or organizations. We're in the business of reaching people that don't know Jesus and bringing them into our home and making them a part of the feast that God has brought us to. That's our mission. Our mission is to go out and reach those who have not been reached. And you know where Jesus often starts? is with the marginalized, the needy, the crippled, the lame, those who nobody else is trying to go to. Those who everybody else is overlooking. There are people in your lives, in my life, right now, that we pass by on a regular basis, that we know of already in our families, that we know of who need the good, saving grace of the gospel. And we are overlooking them. Let us not be like the Pharisees anymore. Let us be like Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. This parable is pointing to how Jesus has done that, but now he's called upon us to be those people, and we're the ones who did that. We're not greater than our master. We're being trained to be like him. We will become like our teacher, being made into his likeness as servants of the Most High. So let us be about the master's business. This gospel life that we are called to is often messy. It's messy when you do that. And it's often uncomfortable. But thankfully, Jesus did not recoil from the uncomfortableness and the messiness of coming to seek and save the lost. Amen? And now he's called us to do exactly the same. As we enter into this beautiful weather we've been seeing, as I got beat down by the sun's rays at soccer games and hanging out with friends yesterday, let us not forget to invite those in who have not been invited in to the marriage supper yet. Let us make sure we think and pray for God to open our eyes to those who have not been welcomed by others with the gospel yet. And let us be about our master's business without excuse. Romans 10, 14, how will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We've been sent, brothers and sisters. Will we answer like Isaiah and say, here am I, Lord, send me. It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our masters commanded us to go out quickly, quickly. Every word is on purpose. Every word is chosen by the Holy Spirit on purpose. Go out quickly. Go out quickly and bring in the marginalized. We must go out quickly with gospel urgency. It should drive who we are and what we do. It should drive everything we're doing. What are we doing as a church? Well, if it isn't pushing us to reach the lost, let's talk about it. If it's not doing it the best we can do it, then let's talk about it. Let's try to fix it. But with gospel urgency, we should do everything we do because the end is coming. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but we know our Savior is coming. 
One commentator talks about this passage. He says, The two essential points in Jesus' teaching are that no man can enter the kingdom without the invitation of God, and that no man can remain outside it but by his own deliberate choice. Man cannot save himself, but he can certainly damn himself by staying outside. And in this latter fact, he says, that makes the preaching of Jesus so urgent. And you may think, well, I'm not a preacher. Yep, you're a messenger of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, all those who have been redeemed. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the point of that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Remember that? He's the way. We talked about the way a lot, right? He's the way. And now he's gone to prepare a place for us. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And so you know what now? Now we are the way that lead people to Jesus so that he's the way to salvation. It says it right here in verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And right before that it says we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are the way. So all these people in this county that don't, gathered any worship environment on a Sunday morning, which could be as many as about sixty-five to 70,000 people when you look at how churches report. And we know churches never under-report their numbers, right? On any, any given Sunday, there's at least 70,000 people and 100,000 people out of, out of the 100,000 people out of our county that do not join them in worship of our Lord. There's a lot of people that need Jesus here. And a lot of them are overlooked. I don't fault anybody for overlooking. I've overlooked, but Lord, open our eyes, quicken our spirits, and send us out to the highways and byways. Outside the camp. Like Jesus went outside the camp for us to die on the cross. Let us go outside and be messengers of reconciliation. That we might be a people who welcome those that no one else invites to the table. Lord, this is our prayer, Lord. This is what you've called us to. He has commanded us to go where they are, compelled them to come into his house, that his house may be filled. So let us go while there is still time. And right now there's time because we're still here and Jesus isn't back yet. We don't know if we have tomorrow, but we have right now. We don't know when the door is going to shut, but we know one day that it will shut. So the time is now and the table is ready. That's what he tells him. He goes, go out and get all these people. I told him the table's ready. The table is ready. So come to the table and be transformed. Let us start off by reminding ourselves of that now and let us come to the table and feast and be transformed. And then let us go out and grab more and come in and bring them to the feast. Come to the table for yet there is still room and there is still time. Father, we need your help in this. Lord, if there's anybody here today that has been at the door but has not entered into the feast, I pray that you would quicken their hearts, that you would call them through the proclamation of your gospel this morning, that you would bring them to faith. If they are watching online or if they're present with us even now, or if they're going to listen to this five years from now, I pray, Lord, that you begin to work in their hearts even now and call them forth out of death into life. That they once were blind and now that they could see and they would repent and turn to you and find hope and salvation. Lord, let us be a place, let us be a people, your people, who are going out to the highways and byways, not just waiting for them to show up here, but that we would be messengers of reconciliation, that our feet would be beautiful because we go to them. 
Not because we feel guilty, Lord, but because we see how your son has done so much in stepping out of eternity, the greatest step we could ever imagine, stepping to become one of us, living the life we could not live of perfection, and then dying the death we deserve for all eternity. But, oh, Lord, the power in that one who is yours, your son, who overcame death so that we no longer fear death, who overcame destruction and sin, who's overcome temptation, who's overcome disease, who's overcome heartache and brought healing. Lord, let us find our hope in him and let us be with him, charging into hell with water pistols of the gospel together so that we might see more and more come to the table and be transformed. Lord, transform us now that we might make much of you and you might receive all the glory. And ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.